0: How's it going, everybody? We're joining joined by Matthew here on a blessed Sunday evening. I hope you all had a great weekend, ready for the week, and we're coming to you with some Western Rite Orthodoxy. This is something, just as a little introduction, that I've personally been very interested in. Back when I lived in Florida, I was blessed to have a Western Rite parish about two minutes away from Away from my church which is very rare because there's not many of them and the liturgy was just glorious I talked with the priest many many times to sort of get what the deal was about orthodoxy in general and specifically Western right orthodoxy but as as especially as an ordinary Catholic it's interesting to see how um, the Orthodox are appropriating of uh, the same sort of tactics and theology of bringing back into the fold of their church, some of those liturgical traditions that have been lost through, um, through I won't say schism, but through <laughs> because that would impugn myself, but through uh, unhappy disagreements. So, um, introduce yourself, Matthew.
1: Yeah, um, you know it's kind of interesting. I, I have such a my name is Matthew Emerson, and I am I am literally a guy sitting at my gaming computer in my in my bedroom. <laughs> So I want to invalidate myself before I say anything. I, I had thought about maybe sitting in front of a bookshelf or something to give myself some level of credibility. Um, but I have none. I'm a guy in a pew that in my exploration of orthodoxy, read a lot about Western Rite orthodoxy. Um, I, I'm friendly acquaintances with a Western Orthodox priest, and I've been to to mass several times. I say all of that. That if I say something stupid, you could completely dismiss me as uh, as just a just a guy in a pew. And if I say something brilliant, you'll say, "Wow, how humble that guy is." And so you know, <laughs> that's, um, that, that's my tactic. But you know, the intersection of psychology and religion is my kind of uh, wheelhouse. I'm a therapist and mental health worker by trade. Um, but g- being raised Roman Catholic, which I which is what I was, I want to. I went to Catholic school, and I say that happily, not like a, a lot of people who I went to Catholic school, and here's why yeah. marriage needs to be okay. Um, but <laughs> I went to Catholic school, um, you know, preschool, parochial school, high school, and I went to a Christian undergraduate university, and, but it was Presbyterian-affiliated. And that's where I encountered Orthodoxy, and then my senior year of college, I left the Church of Rome for um, – I was chrismated in the Serbian parish, but I attended the Orthodox Church in America. That's where I'm a, I'm, I'm a parishioner at.
0: Yes, because we actually, um, a little bit before I converted, we had a little bit of uh, discourse back and forth Mm -hmm. and we spoke on the phone. I was asking about Western right orthodoxy as a, Mm -hmm. as particularly interesting for me. I never obviously decided to uh, become orthodox, but still it's a very, um, interesting phenomenon for myself, if I want to put it that way, but it's also, I think a vehicle for, um, a vehicle for ecumenical dialogue although i that that term is so often abused very loaded it, yeah yeah very loaded term but it, it truly is i i believe that when you're having um you're it just in the same way of eastern catholicism you're validating um our liturgical patrimony and that can um ease the uh the effort for for reunion itself which i think is a very important function of yeah. uh, ortho- western Rite orthodoxy eastern catholicism and then everything in between yeah so I do you agree. wanna do you wanna at first kind of just go over the bare knuckles basic of the origins of western Rite orthodoxy and then maybe we'll get into a bit of the liturgical patrimony of how how that looks and especially in, in my interest it's in relation to anglicanism because sure. from my understanding It was a bit related then maybe we'll get into a little bit of the theological distinctives because that's going to be that's going to be kind of where the the rubber hits
1: the road yeah um so obviously uh both both sides of the of the adriatic as i as i say you know were united um, for longer times than others during the first thousand years so much all of that and much of the western liturgical patrimony that that, the, that traditional Catholicism knows of today existed during the thousand years of thousand years of union. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of a loaded term, but uh, so it falls away. The West, the West falls away from Orthodoxy, at least as, as, as we would narrate it. Yes. Um, but uh, in over time, especially the late 1800s, you're starting to see, because of the Industrial Revolution, immigration happening. You have immigration going into um, parts of Europe, in France. Um, I'm going to say right now, I know there is a history of a Western right Orthodox Church in France. I don't know much about that. Um, I know it existed. I think it still kind of exists. I believe it traces its heritage to, like, the Gallican movement in some way. Um, I don't know much about it and most of the sources on it I don't think are in English so I can't speak much to that. I've heard
0: a little bit about that Mm -hmm. too which is interesting because a lot of times we think of western orthodoxy as merely um, like uh, what's that one diverse other monks the ones Mm -hmm. in England they, they have a lot of good stuff very interesting stuff I'd suggest you guys check it out and then you also have the American movement Mm -hmm. too, but that's not, it's not only English Western right orthodoxy, but there was actually a French movement I was reading about. And that was really interesting that this isn't only an American English phenomenon like the Ordinariate, but it's truly throughout the entire West.
1: Yeah. You know, and and as as the Orthodox are coming out of the, of the Turkish captivity, you know, Mm. we are being forced to, um, or just having the opportunity to kind of interact with the rest of the Christian world, you know, 1453 happens, and we have to hunker down. At, at least, you know, much of the Mediterranean Orthodox do. For, I mean, over, I mean, the we lose the Alexandrian and Antiochian Patriarchate. I mean, centuries before that, um, and Slavic Orthodoxy is still kind of this blossoming, burgeoning civilization. And you have the whole problem with Poland-Lithuania and Muscovy, and we'll table that. But they come into the 1800s. And in in particular the Anglicans are are huge in this um in this whole narrative
0: mm-hmm. uh
1: in the 1800s that in the 1800s the Church of England um makes movements to consider communion with the Church of Russia um
0: yeah. I'm assuming that's coming from the uh the kind of Tractarian movement you' a assuming lot, so. you're having a lot of stuff um I think it's I can't remember exactly I think John keeble wrote a whole history mm-hmm. of at least attempted to write a whole history of um eastern orthodoxy and that makes sense according to um tractarian ecclesiology and viewing oh, yeah. that and that dialogue continues for over a century until yep. the 70s yep. when the episcopal church falls away it's a long time
1: yeah you know and and uh you know or so orthodoxy arrives on on american shores um, and notoriously, in the early 1900s, I mean, you see the image circulated around Twitter pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, um, the Orthodox presence in America, I, I should say, particularly in New York and stuff like that, um, starts to interact with the Episcopal Church, primarily. You have, you have photos of, I can't, is it Fisher Grafton. Uh, it's Bishop, Bishop Grafton, Grafton and, and,
0: with uh St. Raphael of Yes, St. Uh, Raphael Brooklyn.
1: of Brooklyn, you know, and uh, you know, famously appearing on consecrations, and there was very strong language of, of of inner inner communion, you know, especially if the Orthodox could get the get the Episcopal Church to drop that Protestant Episcopal Church um yeah. and, uh, and and open its doors. And then the Russian presence in America, the, the first thing you're going to see um is Saint Tikhon of of uh of moscow um publishes uh, or approves because there are groups of episcopal um christians in the early 1900s who actually do want to come into full communion with orthodoxy um but they want to retain their heritage and saint he of moscow takes a look at the 1928 book of common prayer from produced by the episcopal church um adds some marian stuff to it stamps it more or less is like there you go i and takes it. out and the
0: I... 39 articles
1: <laughs> yes and uh, though interestingly enough at least the way that lancelot andrews publishing publishes it um it actually has the the roman canon attached to the back as an appendix mm-hmm. um and it has a, a gallican canon i think it has a couple like other western canons like as appendices in the back yeah. um but it has like morning evening prayer i mean it it mentions if i remember correctly like Charles the Martyr you know like on like yeah. you know where they aren't saints but these are like respected figures of the litur- of the western liturgical tradition i think it's kind of how the the 19 the 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 satique on prayer book mentions that they don't have collects or anything they are not yeah. commemorated but they they go if you happen to look on january 30th St. Charles the Martyr is commemorated, you know, and it's like wow.
0: I hope something. the online Orthodox won't see this video. We're about to yeah. get blown up.
1: I, I mean, it, it exists, <laughs> you know, and and I, I have found on average the Western Rite Orthodox, the, those who are born into it, because there's now going there are now generations being born into it, mm. um, where people only know Orthodoxy from a Western perspective, which is really interesting sociologically speaking, um, and then those who have converted into Western Rite Orthodoxy tend to be the orthodoxy of the most favorable opinion of the West and the most favorable narrative of the relationship between yeah. Western Christians and orthodoxy. Not that there are Easterners with very favorable opinions. I think I would consider myself one. Um, but if, I, I highly recommend the podcast on uh, the Areopagus has a great episode on anti-Westernism and orthodoxy and Father Patrick Cadeen who or cardine i always mess up his last name uh, he he was influential in my conversion to orthodoxy and he is a western right priest in Bealton, virginia at saint patrick's mm-hmm. orthodox church which is kind of like the shining gem of western right orthodoxy um he is on that episode and it's fantastic but anyways saint Tegon kind of approves that saint john of shanghai um and san francisco interacts slightly with western orthodoxy and he there's a very famous quote of his where you know the 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 liturgy of the west is far older than her heresies and you know no one no one you know no one should ever say that you must be eastern in order to be orthodox you know he, he was very favorable um i even think he presided at some western Rite services if i remember correctly there are like a couple obscure photographs of him doing that um but then it kind of dies out again obviously like the the majority of orthodoxy in America is immigrants and mm. there's no need to make a Western right for Russian immigrants. Yes. Um, and a lot of any of the parishes that are actually doing mission work are bringing them mm. into an Eastern context. So, and these, a lot of these people, especially um, lower church Protestants don't need a Western liturgy, liturgical context. So they're just happy yeah. to become Eastern Rite. Right. Eastern Right Orthodoxy. They're
0: happy to have um, a liturgy.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I'm a, a dear, 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 dear friend of mine. He he was Pentecostal his entire life and he converted to Orthodoxy. And he'll hear myself and my other friend lament or like miss our Western liturgical heritage, you know, uh, and, and talk about that. And um, we we talk about how like, you know, we're in the West. It'd be nice if we had a Western Orthodox kind of like church or presence or something like that. And But he often says, you know, if I walked into a traditional Latin mass or the Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, they are both just as foreign to me. Like, for him, the Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom isn't Eastern at all. It's its just Orthodox, just as much as the, the TLM wouldn't have been Western to him. It would have just been the Liturgy that he experienced first, because we now have Christian groups that are so detached from litur- Liturgy and so detached from theological patrimony that yeah. something I've been chewing on a bit, which is kind of you know, I don't know, hypocritical for the topic that we're speaking of. I sometimes find West and East arbitrary adjectives anymore at this yeah. point, you know, because even going to a liturgy of St. John Chrysostom parish, I'm a thoroughly Western person. I, you know, I like, I, even, even cradle Orthodox in the West are Western Christians, like, right? even yeah. if they practice what we consider an Eastern form of Christianity or Eastern form of theology. The major Western right presence that we're going to see or that anybody would walk into now in the modern day that's even kind of relevant is there's the Rokor Western right Vicariate, <clears throat> which exists, but I don't know if it's continually being promulgated and I have my problems with it. Um, and then the larger one of it is the Antiochian Western mm-hmm. right Vicariate, um, which is um, fantastic. That is where St. Pa- Patrick's in bealton virginia is in the antiochian under the antiochian Patriarchate, um and they're beautiful they're lovely um both of those uh groups you have two options if you're going to be western right you're either going to use saint t prayer book mm-hmm. um, which again is going to be the more anglican expression of western rite orthodoxy um or you're going to use uh the liturgy saint gregory the great which is more or less the english version of the tlm and yeah. um your 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 office is going to be the Benedictine monastic diurnal. That is what mm-hmm. they use, or at least that's often what you know, that's what they sell at St. Patrick's. You know, um, and, and and there actually is a Western Rite Benedictine monastery in America, um in Colorado. It's called Lady Minster. um and <clears throat> it, there's a couple monks out there, and, and they're really good. They they actually have an oblate tradition. So like, if you're Orthodox and you want to be a, a Benedictine oblate, you you actually have that opportunity. Um, but uh, that—that's where you're going to the the, the Rokor Vicariate, which they have just as much as the West Latinized the Eastern rites of the Catholic Church, or at least some of the the Eastern Catholic churches were Latinized. um, Rokor, um Easternized the West more than the Antiochians did. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be your major distinction. Or again, I I hate to use rules of uh, I hate to use generalities, but I think that's a pretty fair divide
0: yeah so um with the so we're kind of going over the history a bit but with the genesis of western right orthodoxy was it mostly uh convert groups of um i'm assuming um episcopalians in church of england or was it like easterners who just happened to want some western right
1: i i mean it for it to even get off the ground, it obviously had to have Eastern support, you know, because mm-hmm. the majority of the Orthodox Church is, is the, whether I, whether I like it or not, the Eastern Orthodox church is the Eastern Orthodox church. Yeah. Um, so it's going to need that support, but primarily it comes from Protestant. There's, if you, if, if you look up orthodoxwest.com, they have tons of resources. Um, I, it's primarily produced by the people from St. Patrick's. Again, I, I can't sing their praises enough. I love them dearly. Um.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I read some of the articles
0: there. They're great.
1: They're fantastic. I mean, they defend the Sacred Heart devotion. Anything my little Catholic heart, like, loves. Any of the Ramanides types, I just send them journal articles from there, and I'm like, I'm perfectly justified in any of my opinions. And, uh, um, <laughs> but they, they have a, a great, like, just 30-minute documentary on the Western Rite. Um, mm-hmm. And basically, like, one comes from an Episcopal background, one comes from, like, a charismatic Episcopal background, mm-hmm. and one comes from, like, a low church Protestant background that just started to discover liturgy, you know, and then they all kind of brought their parishes into, they desired to keep this patrimony. Mm. The Antiochians were kind of willing to have that conversation. Um, I say this in a positive light. I think the Antiochian Patriarchate is one of the most forward thinking groups in Orthodoxy today in, in a good way. Like they're the most yeah. progressive in a good way. And yeah. I mean, they have ancient faith, which is, you know, they host anybody from any jurisdiction, but it, it is the Orthodox media publishing group at this point, you know, I, I mm. think they're geniuses and their openness to their openness to flirt with the Western tradition. I really, really appreciate because you don't, you see, there's so much skepticism. You know, I remember uh, the Serbian church I, I was chrismated in, um, there was some pushback on the existence of the Western, right? And like, you should probably just kind of like stay away from that, you know, and, and again, I, they need well, uh, you know, but, but it, it, it's, it's just a mindset that the Orthodox need to be broken from, Um, that everything in the West is suspect or, or, or anything like that. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's primarily, it's primarily liturgical Protestant groups. Mm -hmm. You'll have Catholic converts. I do not know of any Catholic parishes that have been left Rome and like fully received. I do know of Catholic converts who left and became West right Orthodox where you have the opportunity. Um, honestly though, for some, like the cat, your Catholic viewers, um, the, the the Antiochian Western Rite Vicariate is equivalent in size to the FSSP in America. That, that's yeah. a pretty good uh, equivalency. Like the amount of FSSP parishes is about the size of the Western Rite parishes in America.
0: Yeah, I was just about to kind of ask because it seems like most of the liturgical patrimony is coming from specifically Anglo-Catholic uh, yeah. sort of yeah, groups, sure. kind of or. Anglo-Catholic, and then washed with a little bit of Orthodox theology to yep. make sure they're not screwing up. Especially even with even with the Gregorian Canon you're talking about, that yeah, was I mean, something which was in the them. that was in the English and the uh, Anglican, which is the yeah. American version. Missile. That's that yep. was one. And I'm assuming they just took it full sale from that. So it doesn't seem like it's uh, coming from the uh, the Latin Church. No. per se, it's coming from the the Anglican church, the,
1: the trad types obviously like it, you know, cause you're going to feel at home, you know, you just, you, you know, you don't get your Latin, but I mean like, uh, St. Patrick's and Bealton, which you know, I'm going to use them as my test. I, if you're going to comp- look at something, I, it's of my opinion, you should look at the best examples of it rather than the worst examples yeah. of it. And St. Patrick's is the, in my opinion, basically one of the best. I mean, they have Vespers Saturday night with Eucharistic exposition and benediction. Um, oh. you know, and, uh, they, they sing the Ergo. They just kind of change the, uh, they, they change the filioque part a little bit. Um, you know, but, uh, <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's beautiful. I, I mean, they use Gregorian chant. They, they have several beautiful albums of chant and hymns that I think are all on Spotify, actually. Um, and, you know, they're just fantastic. Uh, the, and the Antiochians are very, again, forward-thinking or I think very kind, especially when larger groups wish to enter in to the Antiochian Patriarchate, yeah. um, and they're they're specifically the like American branch of it, they're actually given the option, do you want to come in as a Western Rite parish or do you want to come in as an Eastern Rite parish? And mm-hmm. the, the parish decides.
0: It's not just like you have
1: to be Eastern Rite. They can actually request, we want to come in as a Western Rite parish or we want to come in as an Eastern Rite parish.
0: Okay. Like, on yeah. average,
1: most people come in Eastern Rite because like, when you Google Orthodoxy, that's what you're going to see firsthand. Yeah. Um, there, there are a lot of Orthodox people who don't even know the Western Rite exists. You know, it's such a small. But there are plenty of Latin Catholics. You have no idea what an Eastern
0: Catholic even is. So yeah, that that, that is really sad. But it seems like there's. An like you know,
1: it's like what's that?
0: Like yeah, what's an ordinariate? No. Yeah, a bunch of yeah. It was funny. I was uh this is kind of an aside, but I saw this like when um, you know who Bishop Stephen Lopes is, right? Oh yeah, yeah. The Bishop of the Ordinariate when he was elected for a spot on the uh, uh, yeah the Council of Bishops. The council of bishops for their liturgy spot because he's a liturgist, like actually went to college for it and basically wrote our our liturgies before he became the bishop of the ordinariate. And there was this like professor from, it was this Franciscan monk professor. Oh, cool. He wasn't at Franciscan, but he was complaining like all of these disgruntled Anglicans. And now we have their Bishop as our liturgy guy. Like what the heck is going on? there's all these angry liberal Catholics, like in the comments, like they oh, should yeah. have just stayed Anglican if they were mad. Like should, should be quiet. <laughs>
1: just stop I mean, It's funny. I always made the joke. Uh, my priest is also a convert from Roman Catholicism. And so we still talk about it often you know him and i always made the joke about the cranmer table you know in the, the nova yeah. and i'm like this is a fun rad trad mean comment i find yeah. it funny and, and, we, and we always joked about the the nova sort of because you're we like it's just a badly plagiarized book of common prayer like if they wanted to make a vernacular liturgy they should have just called up the Archbishop of canterbury and was like we're taking this and we're just going to use it now too. Like if they wanted to, to strip down the TLM, at least take the good version of the strip down. Yeah, TLM. don't
0: like, don't don't take like because basically the seventh the 1979 prayer book is just a bad version of the Novus. Yeah, exactly, if the it's just a bad version, version of the, the Novus Ordo. It's
1: like just take 1662 <laughs> and call it a day. Like everyone would I mean, everyone would have been happy. I think they, like.
0: honestly, if they would have this, this is my like rad trad english dream right here if they would have just taken if they wanted for english catholics or english-speaking catholics if they would have just taken the anglican missal, used like basically all the propers from the tridentine mass like the canon of the tridentine you basically would have had the tlm in english in elizabethan english yeah and everybody would have just loved it it would have been beautiful and glorious
1: which that is more or less the western right expression of this of saint gregory's canon of, of the roman mm-hmm. canon like it, it more but again as you said it's it's descending more from the american or the you know the american yeah. missile and the english missile is, is where the western right are taking their expression rather, rather than necessarily mm-hmm. latin right roman catholicism
0: yeah i wanted to get into a bit about the specific liturgy of the uh of the western right but um what what kind of how, how different really is um an ordinary expression from a western right expression when it comes to the mass and then there's i i, I'm, I believe there's a lot more differences when it comes to the uh, especially when it comes to the hours that's where you get the big differences between us
1: yeah i mean uh i've never been to an ordinary parish so i can't comment unfortunately there is not one close to me mm. um in terms of from what i've read online of, of the commonwealth missile edition in particular um, because there are th- what are the differences between the Commonwealth edition of the Ordinariate Prayer Book and like the, is, is there a, even an American version of that? Or
0: there Jesus is an called? American version, but I've just always used the Commonwealth. So oh, yeah, I exactly. have no idea what the differences exactly. are.
1: Yeah, God God save the Queen. So, um, <laughs> so in terms of like liturgics, if you're going to look at the Saint Tikhon's Prayer Book, um, it would just depend on how closely the the divine missile. Um, follows the 1928 uh, mm. because that that is where Saint Ticon is drawing from, and no one is up taking you know, the time or change or updated it. It's just a, an orthodox infused 1928. Yeah. Um, and then for that they have just the they have mourning. Actually, in that prayer book, now that I think about it, they do add like sext prime and and terce or terce whatever. Um, yeah. they add that in the 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 orthodox 1928 I'll mm-hmm. call it now
0: that um, I now that I think about it because my I never went to um, a western rite mass I always had to leave before mass to get back to my anglican yeah. anglican church but uh, I went to a lot of western rite Matins, oh, Yeah, usually once or twice a month and now that I'm using the Ordinariate prayer book there's actually a lot more similarities um but i've never been to a mass so i can't really compare the differences between an ordinary at mass and a western rite mass
1: and then again like if 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 you're going to a parish like saint patrick's and beelton they do they do benedict and matins um mm-hmm. so from the mass to diurnal that will
0: um, be much much different
1: uh, and then and then again their their mass is for all intents and purposes the tlm translated um yeah and so but if you're if you're going to uh a, a a much more english patrimony descended western Rite church Again, it would just i i don't own a commonwealth edition i'm waiting for the next reprinting because i would like yeah. to get my hands on one um it, it depends or just on how much it follows the the older prayer books or specifically the 1928 because that's what Saint cons would follow and then their morning prayer and evening prayer would look similar um their Compline. um I think they kind of take their compliment from the Benedictine office of some form. Like mm-hmm. it's it, the compliment in that book is very much like the one you'd find in the, honestly, kind of the 79 prayer book, all things being honest, but in like a good way, you know, it's, it's yeah. familiar yeah. to you. Um, so that those would be the similarities liturgically. Um, you know, a lot of Western right, uh, you know, people say the rosary in their devotional life. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a thing called the St. Ambrose prayer book, um, which is, uh, a, a nice little devotional, um, you know, there's the St. Gregory prayer book uh, yeah. that Ignatius publishes. It's kind of like the Western, right? Orthodox St. Gregory prayer book, the okay. St. Ambrose one. Um, and it has like the, it has the Gregor, Gregorian mass in it. Um, and it has like daily devotionals and stuff. And it, it's stuff you'd find from, you know, early 1900s trad Roman Catholicism. And I, I mean that in a good way, just like it, yeah. it, it as someone who knows all of that, I, I my friend has that prayer book and I thumbed through it and I was like I know all of this you know it has the Angelus and St Michael prayer and yeah, you know, yeah. all those things.
0: That's very interesting how in um how in orthodox theology is that justified to have rosary and St Michael's prayer and all of these devotions and prayers that were um, that were created uh, after the schism.
1: That's a very complicated question. <laughs> and I will do my best to answer it in some semblance of sense. Remember, guy in a pew, say anything wrong, I'm yeah. just a guy in a pew. Um, it depends on your narrative of it, it depends on your narrative of the schism. Yeah. I think most people agree that 1054 is very arbitrary. Um, mm-hmm. I have heard people push it back to 1204. I think that's better um, to say that the the realization of the schism happened later. Um, like I said, I I heard once heard a tale, um, you know, of uh, you know the Pope said the, the uh, asks for. Um, the first crusade to be called. Pope Urban II calls the first crusade, sends the people legate and some bishops of all the crusaders to Constantinople before they head to the Holy Land. Um, and when they show up, um, and note, this is only like basically what, 40, um, 40 50 years after the, the, the Great Schism happened. Um, and there are instances of Western bishops showing up in the Eastern Roman Empire. And they're like, hey, why is the Pope not on the, what's it called? Like the diptychs, like the the, the commemorations? Yeah. And the Eastern bishops are like, we don't know. And they just like write them back on. Like, like it's <laughs> like a plot, you know? Um, and again, uh, yeah, not not to say that there wasn't genuine excommunications, but we also mm. know the excommunication was invalid because the Pope died before it was even given. You know, so yeah. it, it's a muddy thing. 12 before the sacking of Constantinople happens, um, the installation of a Latin patriarch, in Constantinople is a slightly bigger deal because uh, bishops are, bishops being consecrated in bishops territory is a telltale sign of schism in the early church. And so that's a, a bigger deal narratively that, that yeah. the the Western church is now consecrating Latin bishops where there are canonical bishops.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Again, I, I, there's arguments on both sides. I, I don't want to overly simplify the thing. Like I, I understand the complexities of it, but, kind of moving forward, you know, you have the, the attempted reunion council of Lyon that fails you because the, then you have the Orthodox council of, of black or nay or which rejects that council, which rejects the reunion. Um, you have the attempted council of Florence where St. Mark of Ephesus, you know, valiantly um, resists submission to the, uh, you know, resists, uh, <laughs> resists submission to the Pope and actually famously writes the first, um, or I, I just learned this not too long ago, writes the first, first kind of orthodox exposition of what happens to the soul after death um because at florence st mark was like we don't believe in purgatory and they were like well what do you believe and he was like well give me a minute like you know he was like yeah they knew purgatory was not the eastern expression of the soul after death and so when he returns after after the, the council he actually writes the first um dogmatic i don't mean that in like a ecumenical sense but the first kind of theological exposition uh, where he kind of takes from the fathers and goes this is kind of the orthodox explanation of, of, of purification of the soul and, and all that contra-purgatory. Um, but the, the problem is, I say all of this, um, St. Mark of Ephesus shows, shows up at the Council of Florence and he refers to the Pope with patriarchal honorifics and refu- refers to the schism as a wall built within the church. So that's weird. So, like, that's 400 years after 1054 that we're still kind of talking like we're the church in schism, internally. Mm-hmm. Kind of, the, the, how much spice do I, how, how angry do I want chat to get with me? Much like Constantinople and Moscow right now. Um, yeah. where, where the Orthodox are, you know, I would say this is a schism within the church. Um, that seems to be how several contemporaries talked about rome and the eastern patriarchates what gets even more frustrating is even in the 16 1700s in places like venetian crete you see cross communion you see orthodox priests participating in corpus christi celebrations now again i'm saying those are definitely exceptions not the rule um but and and in uh in much many places of the middle east where you go to the church that's not being bombed. And so Melkite Catholics might show up at the Antiochian church and Antiochians might show up at the Melkite church and they cross commune. Um, now Mm. again, you could say that's an instance of pastoral provision, which it is an instance of economia. Um, I know a, um, the priest, one of the priests that chrismated me, um, there was a Coptic Orthodox Christian who is not in communion with Eastern Orthodoxy by any means, um, who had married a Serbian man. And there's no Coptic churches in where I live. Um, and he would commune her because he said, that where else is she going to receive any liturgy, even somewhat like her own patrimony and her own church? Um, and again, economy, pastoral provision. My point being is for all of the people who try and make the schism very black and white and try and kind of make it like the minute 10:54 happened, everything in the West is bad and we need to throw it all away. That is not how the Orthodox ever thought of the West in any way shape or form until very recently orthodox anti-westernism is like an 1800s innovation i i would argue at least from my reading and what my priest has told me um and from what i've read from like people like dr marcus plested and stuff like that who he published orthodox readings of aquinas um and so i say all of that to say The Western Rite policy and the Antiochian patriarchs policy, which is the one that I'm most familiar with, has been, you know, it's complicated, the history of the Western Church and its liturgical devotions, post-schism, because it's sometimes hard to say when that happened. Um, And if it is thoroughly orthodox in practice, there is no reason to reject it this will make you happy, you radical Numenite. If it was in seed form in the West while we were in communion with one mm. another, there's no reason to immediately reject it. Uh, if, we, if this seems to just be a nice organic development of a devotion and there's nothing uber heretical about it, there's no reason to make people reject it. And ultimately, grace works outside the canonical bounds of the church we have baptized pagan practices there is no reason we can't pap- baptize schism- schismatic christian practices and make them orthodox um i might get flame from both sides on that, that, that was that was one.
0: a really good response because um because mm-hmm. even i sometimes think about uh what is because obviously like the difference between uh, me and i don't know a presbyterian is a much diff even though presbyterian schismed from uh, i guess you could say presbyterian schism from the anglican church but uh between me and a lutheran mm-hmm. for example that's a better example is a much different situation than the situation between me and you yeah like what we're using schism in in uh, equivocal senses when we're talking yeah. about the relationship between me and you and me and him and how are we going to how are we going to terse out the exact situation and some some will have a much friendlier view of our relation and then some people will just say, like, uh, one of you is damned and the other one just uh, too bad.
1: The way I was taught, you know, it was very, there's a, a, a the librarian at the college that I went to when I was an undergrad. He was one of the first Orthodox Christians I ever met. Um, and he is still a mentor to me this, to this day. You know, I, I still go to his house for book club like every other week. You know, I, I love him to death, lives with his son like he's great. Um, when I told him that I want to convert to Orthodoxy, he pulled, we took, we, we, it was, a, I can still picture, it, it was a snowy day. And we went to the third floor of the library and we just sat together. And he sat down he told me every single thing wrong with Orthodoxy. He told me about the Moscow Patriarch Schism. He told me about abuses. He told me about problems in the church. And he said, I refuse to let you become Orthodox if you are gonna hate where you come from. And then he said to me, we, He said, if you remain Catholic or if you become Orthodox, we are children of divorced parents, and we should only approach that, that that we want mom and dad to get back together. Um, And that's how I have endeavored to always look at the schism, um, is that Mm -hmm. we are, we are literally siblings of divorced parents. And unfortunately, mom says I can't come over for dinner. Um, But that doesn't mean we can't still play. Like, you know, it doesn't mean we can't go to the park or something like that. That is how I... I will. I will always try to approach the issue.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really good note to everybody. Especially, I'm sure we have some orthodox friends from from your following that are uh, that are in the stream, and then also you, you a lot flatter of flatter me that
1: I have a following, <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then also um, a lot of Catholic converts in the stream because that's most of the people that are going to be interested about this. But and I struggle with this myself is um, being charitable in realizing the. Uh, the graces that were in your former, former church is that you would not, most of you, unless you were pagans beforehand, would not have become Catholic. If you weren't Anglican before, you would not have become Catholic. If you weren't Lutheran before, you would not have become Catholic. If you weren't Presbyterian before those certain imperfect in uh, those imperfect participations in the truth have led you to the fullness of truth. And that yep. can be recognized as good while also recognizing the flaws. Yeah. So don't don't be out there 24-7 hating your former tradition. Critiquing, fine. Go ahead. Want people to come into the fullness of truth. But that's completely different than just the hatred you see, especially among uh, rad trad communities and then also the among orthobro. online orthodox, the orthobro community who are notorious for <laughs> it. That,
1: that's but why, that, I, you know sorry to interrupt you i I, Mm -hmm. i've become so tired with pop apologetics it's something i I honestly have really appreciated with with your work because you i mean you're still studying like the Davenant institute you know like you actually read the protestants and have a respect for their intellectual um giantness you know they 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 were not slouches by any means you know i i you know i i as weird as it might sound and some of my close friends would really razzle me for this I love John Calvin. I, I, I don't see him as a demon in any way, shape, yeah. or form. I am I, extremely sympathetic to the reformed camp. Um, working in the mental health field just makes you want to affirm total depravity. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, one thing I get so tired of with pop apologetics and pop, apolog, pop orthodox apologetics against the West, one thing I really have tried to endeavor to do, it's like, there is a reason I'm not Catholic. There's a reason I left the church and became Orthodox, but mm. I don't want it to be because Augustine bad. Like I don't want it to be these dumb, stupid ter- stereotypes or these um, perceived, you know, theological differences or something like that between the two. There are issues that I found that that eventually led me away from the church of Rome, but I want them to be the real issues. Not the, yeah. you know, I, you know, again, uh, you know, Liturgy and all Latin bad, or, or, uh, yeah. you know, or anything, or Sacred Heart Historian or something like that. So, like, come on, like, let's just, let's be honest with each other here.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, we're going to move on from that brief rant. But, uh, that <laughs> yeah, was, sorry that was... about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I felt, I completely fed into <laughs> that because that's just something that I, I despise is, um, is pop apologetics. Because, I mean, it's great if you're working against like, Bethel Hillsong elevation sort of, <laughs> sort of groups. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's easy. Like people who have no history or, yeah, or anything. The people but...
0: that I'm friends with and a lot of the people that I follow and the people that I read are not them. Yeah. So don't, don't disgrace them and disrespect them by treating them like that.
1: I, I, I think about that. Think about this often. You know, I, I'm in i am I'm, I've been working through, um, for the life of the world by Alexander Schmetman with some friends.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and every once in a while they'll, Kind of make some comments towards Protestantism, and in my mind, I'm like, any well-read confessional Lutheran or creedal Anglican could agree with everything being said here, and feel no need to leave their respective communions.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, like,
1: like your people on the Orthodox side or people on the Catholic side need to work a little bit harder if they want to convince these people that they need to leave and come to one of our apostolic communities um there, like there's a reason you need to leave your bishop there's a reason you need to um and i, I struggle with that with like the continuing churches i do I, I understand why they have no reason to um they feel oftentimes no reason to leave i get that you yeah i i was uh, talking with a, a friend of mine he's pentecostal became orthodox and he's a a, a good zealous convert for, for orthodoxy and him and I butt heads a lot over my, yeah. my still love for the Western tradition and his, uh, his uh, cynicism towards papism and the like. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but I've said to him, I have a couple books from Anglo Catholics and stuff like that, or I have um was a manual on the Catholic religion by Vernon, uh, Stanley. Vernon and I said, if you read that and I didn't tell you who published that, you may think he was orthodox. I was like, One or two phrases might freak you. One or two phrases might make you go, "Wait, what is he talking about?" But if I blacked them out, just changed the words, you have no idea. You have no idea he was not talking about Anglicanism.
0: Yeah, especially with um, especially with the Tractarian movement. Oh yeah, there is a very strong Eastern appropriation of the Eastern Fathers. Like you see Mm -hmm. it in John Henry Newman and his doctrine of justification. Yeah, and because Newman, he his his main scholarly field of research was um, the Aryan crisis mm. and the response of the Eastern fathers there. So I think if you go to the shaft set and you go to um, Athanasius and you look at who wrote the notes to that and who translated that it's St. John Henry Newman. Yeah. And that's, it's pretty crazy, but um, past that now let's get, so everybody in the, in the comments, um, if you want to ask questions, I'll go through the, go through the chat. After we talk about this, uh, if you have questions, throw them in the chat and we'll get them answered. But um, let's talk a bit about the theological differences. That's something that we haven't really covered. Like, um, if am I as an Eastern, as a Western, right Orthodox, am I ra- allowed to read Anselm? Am I ra- allowed to read uh, Aquinas? Am I allowed to read Banya's? Like, where where is this? Uh, <laughs> where where is the line drawn of who I am and I'm not allowed to read?
1: You know, I mean, you have license to read anything. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I, I'll cheekily say, um, in terms of freedom, it's actually funny you bring that up. So, uh, St. Patrick's, as uh, like I was, you, um, what was it last fall? Um, actually had an a, had a, a conference on the atonement. Um, at, at mm. there, um, and it was great. I, I got to go, thank God. And um, you know, we had mass, and the, the bishop who oversees the Western Rite was there. Um, uh, and and. Uh, he, he was he was once a native Pittsburgher, so so I, I love him you know I, I feel camaraderie with him and uh he was there dr Marcus pleston was there um father Patrick Henry Reardon uh, who is a, a prolific prolific uh orthodox author um and mm. uh, he he is at all Saints in Chicago retired there he was actually a student of merton for a time Thomas merton he, he was oh a, really um, yes he he actually got a a, a STd a, a doctorate in sacred theology yeah. without a high school degree diploma um, he just he just knows like nine languages um, when he is not serving the Divine Liturgy he is praying the divine office in Latin that is his prayer rule for himself yeah um, he's he is just a giant and he has a Two-volume set called "Reclaiming the Atonement." If if anybody wants to have a Orthodox appraisal, I would recommend them to that. His his book "Reclaiming the Atonement." Um, but yes, Doctor Marcus Plusted was there. Who um he, is a, he attends an Eastern Rite parish. He's a he's a professor at Marquette University. He's an Orthodox mm. Christian. He teaches Marquette, um, and he is who published uh let's say the the essays Orthodox readings of Aquinas. And he spoke on Anselm and he spoke on another guy, a St. Nicholas Cabasolus, um, who was a Greek theologian who wrote a commentary on the divine liturgy um, and talked about rehabilitating Anselm in the Orthodox mind. Because um, you will find plenty of Orthodox theologians uh, who take issue with substitutionary atonement, or mm-hmm. at least uh, especially penal substitutionary atonement. I, I would say there is, for what it's worth, Again, I'm I'm a therapist speaking on theological matters, but for what it's worth, I don't really find many ways to reconcile penal substitutionary atonement with orthodoxy or or the orthodox theological tradition. I don't don't think that is going to happen. But there is definitely a, 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 a much larger movement in orthodox theology that is looking back at Anselm and going, maybe he does have some good things to say. And, and, you know, it, and he's so close to when the schism happened. Like, I, oftentimes I find this, you know, it's like, uh, um, when thinking of those authors, I don't find a lot of my Orthodox people are going like, oh, what year was that? Oh, don't read them. Uh, it, it is typically about content. And again, I know that's anecdotal evidence. So like, you know, don't me yeah. to the wider world. Um, but, you know, I still read Aquinas, you know, like, again, like, I, uh, I, uh, I, uh, G- 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 Gennadio Scalarios, G- G- Gennadio yeah. He, um, he was the Patriarch of Constantinople during the fall. Um, and he was, um, he went into Florence anti-union and left pro-union though. He eventually repudiates it. Um, he, uh, flees the fall of Constantinople, um, with a Bible and his personal translation of the Summa. And he is who famously said, um, of the students of St. Thomas, there is no faith, more faithful son than I. Um, you know, I believe this quote is attributed to several people. Um, Palmas is one of them. Scolarios is another. I think there's a third. I can't remember who it is. You know, who is the greatest tragedy of Thomas is that he was born in the West and he'd been born in the East. He would have been Christ's brightest star, um, you know, because he has to – for the East, he has to defend all of these – uh, he, he has to go to great lengths to defend all of these Western innovations, you know? Um, and I think most people would agree against the Greeks is probably his weakest work. Um, Cause he's working on pre poor translations. I, I think if he went to Leon, he would have burned it. I, I, or it or at least rewritten. Mm-hmm. It. Um, because like, if you actually just look at what Greek fathers say or the Greeks say at a the time, they are not saying what he says they're saying, which mm-hmm. I get, isn't his fault. I true. It's, Purely, he had bad copies, or was working on what people were telling him. Greek Christians were saying, "I wish he had the opportunity to go to Leon and or survive the trip to Leon." I should say, and actually got to talk with Greek Christians. I mean, Saint Mark of Ephesus, he was no anti-Westerner at all. He actually, there was um, you know how uh, in the the, the there's the Bosphorus Strait you know there's Constantinople on the one side, and it was Adrianople on the other side. Yeah. Um, on the other side of there this is a leftover from the latin empire there was a dominican priory um, in the 1400s and saint mark of ephesus studied there under the dominicans Bef- and, and he came to florence with all of these like scholastic texts defending orthodoxy ready to have a debate and when he showed up at florence and realized oh this is just like a please sign and leave kind of deal that's when he beca- he became super anti-union because he was there to debate the latins were there to please just sign you know what we said but th- th- again the, the problem being is the latin dogmatic tradition had already kind of dogmatized things that orthodoxy had left an open question and so yeah you know the, the orthodox were like well, well we're going to ignore all of that because those councils don't matter to us and so let's have this debate and see if we can kind of hash these things out um but they couldn't because the latins i don't say this meanly or, or rudely kind of backed themselves into a dogmatic corner on a couple things and so they weren't free to debate the issue as much as St. Mark or others may have wanted to. So, um, I mean, you're free to read and appropriate um, anything. Again, I mean, I, I would, I would happily recommend anybody to the book Orthodox Readings of Aquinas to see um, a, a, a fantastic modern Orthodox theologian reading him very positively. He has a couple of lectures on YouTube for free as well uh, uh, on the book. I think Reason Theology interviewed him at one point, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would say you're 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 perfectly free. You know, I if you listen to like, uh, you know, Father Stephen DeYoung, um, who's made a lot of waves because of the popularity of the Lord of Spirits podcast um, and his book Religion of the Apostles, and then God is a Man of War. Um, if you listen to read Religion of the Apostles or listen to Lord of Spirits, they are going to take. I don't want to use the term anti um, but they are they are going they that. Rand of thought and orthodoxy is going to take a more anti-substitutionary atonement. But not arguing because it's bad, but arguing because it is disconnected from the Near Eastern understanding of sacrifice, and that, like, by the time you get into, uh, what is that, 11th century um, England, they're kind of detached from the Near Eastern pagan slash Second Temple Jewish understanding of the substitution uh, of the substitution of the sacrifice that Father Stephen argues orthodoxy has retained. Um, but then on the other side, you'll have people like um, Dr. Marcus Blested, who gets into the etymology of the word atonement, which is, is more at one um, the, the word, I, I can't think of it right now, but the, the word in Greek, there's not a very good equivalent in
0: Yeah,
1: there's not a very good English equivalent where they kind of event the word at one or atonement as we come to know it today. Um, and has looked back at what Anselm has to say and has said he actually did a lot of good things about at moment with God and, and the purpose of um, the, the, the atonement conference, especially the rehabilitation of Anselm. Dr. Marcus spent a lot of time looking at substitutionary atonement grounded in the Eucharist rather than in the abstract the substitution substitutionary atonement through the lens of the Eucharist rather than through the lens of the cross not that the Eucharist is divorced from the cross so don't you know they'll pin me on that but you know yeah uh, but looking at it from the um transformative power of the Eucharist and how it does make you at one with God which Dr Marcus argued and I agree with is a better way to look at atonement at, ultimately it is not atonement from sin but at one with God, and that Anselm actually pretty clearly has that strain of thought in his writing. So that's a, that's a, that's drawing a circle to make a straight line to say, like, you know, I would say as, as any Orthodox Christian, um, probably even more so as a Western Orthodox Christian, you're, you're free to kind of read any, any thinker. I, I, I mean, I know plenty of of, of Orthodox Christians who love Bonhoeffer, and I would find him more problematic than any of the early oh, medieval scholastics. Surely, um, not, not that I think his, his death or his stand, I, I don't, I'm not questioning his character necessarily, I'm just saying in terms of some of his theological opinions, way more problematic than the, than the worst scholastic uh, yeah. of, of, of the medieval era. Um, and and the, the problem is the, the Western right, right now, because it's so young, not that liturgy is not doing theology obviously lex or lex credendi. um yeah but you are not i i cannot think of any professional orthodox theologian right now that is a western right orthodox christian um they are still all going to be eastern christians going to an eastern church um though there there are some that are more aware of the western tradition than others again that, that's where I think father Patrick uh, father Reardon is so great you know I mean he was he was a student of of uh, of uh merton right. and then he studies in Rome I think he studies the angelicum specifically and then later in life he he converts to orthodoxy um and so he is very familiar with 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 the the 20th century nouvelle Theologie and and, and patristic Ressourcement in Catholicism and the and Thomas and all that so his is reclaiming the atonement is is, is truly fantastic, and I, I believe ancient faith is badgering him for a third, but I don't know if he if he intends to write it, because um, he I think he made a joke in his lecture that he'll write it on the other side of eternity. So I, I he wants finish, I don't know if he wants to do the work to make the third one, but a second one I think is currently in the revision process.
0: Okay, that sounds. Sounds amazing. So uh, let us get into the chat a bit. I'm gonna just go all the way up to the top and then sure. um, and then see. Um...
1: God have mercy on me. Yeah, I, I I still I find it so funny. It, it is just a funny uh, or, or good trick uh, that uh, I'm talking about Western with right? an The feast of Saint Photius, how he's rolling, <laughs> rolling on his throne in heaven right now. I, I smirked at that when I went to liturgy today.
0: Okay, so um, yeah, so. They're asking about icons in, in statues in Western Rite Orthodoxy. Do you guys have statues?
1: Uh, you know, the, the, at St. Pat's, yeah. I mean, I, they have a statue of St. Joseph. Um, they have a statue of the Virgin Mary with child. And then, then they also have icons. They have an icon of St. Patrick by the altar. Um, they still have the Christ and the Theotokos and, and all that. So it depends where. You know, a lot of Western Rite uh, uh, places are basically mission plants. You know, and some of them aren't even operating in a real church building. Um, so Mm -hmm. they kind of make do with what they got. Um, but I, I I think any like formal Western right building, um, you're going to see a a, a mix of both. But I I even think a lot of modern Catholic churches, and I, I don't mean that in the negative way. Um, you see regularly, I, at least in my area, that you you find the icon here and there and the statue here and there. Um, they sometimes look out of place in the Gothic cathedral or something. I mean, uh, St. Paul's, which is the cathedral of Pittsburgh, has an icon of the protecting veil of Theotokos over the, over the city of Pittsburgh. It was an icon commissioned for the city. And it, it's, huh. a neo, it's a neo-Gothic revivalist um, cathedral. You know, it, it looks like you picked it up out of France and dropped it in Pittsburgh. So um, you'll, you'll see both.
0: Okay. I think it
1: more depends. It more depends on 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 resources rather than like theological opinion or something. Statues yeah. are expensive. Oh I, yeah.
0: <laughs> so can we get into the nitty gritty of why the Orthodox Western Rite when the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, is everywhere anyway?
1: I mean, well, well, ultimately, it's 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 it's, it's less a question is as, as hard as this can be especially for people who have strong liturgical preferences ultimately the question is not are you going to be a western or an orthodox or a catholic is do you believe the orthodox church has preserved the apostolic deposit yes. or do you believe the catholic church has preserved the apostolic deposit if you believe one or the other it doesn't matter if, if a ruthenian catholic church is the only thing near me i'm going to go be that because i feel that i need to be in communion with the pope of rome or if yeah. i think that orthodoxy is the true church but by gosh you know they'll have to burn me alive before i surrender my 1662 book of common prayer I'm going to have to go to an OCA parish or a Greek parish or an Antiochian parish, whether I like it or not, because I believe like, that's me. I I was a TLM attending Catholic before I became Orthodox and I had Mm -hmm. to give up my preference for what I believe to be the truth. Um, you know, and now it's a blessing if you have, especially in Bealton. Um, I mean now after the motu proprio, I don't know if this is true, but in Bealton, there was a Catholic church that offered a TLM or near Bilton, I should say, who offered a TLM every Sunday. And I believe there's a Serbian Eastern Rite church in Fredericksburg, which is like 40 minutes from Beelton. And then there's the Western Rite church in Beelton. So that's like, you that's the best of three worlds, right? Now. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and and at that point, again, not that practice doesn't matter. You know, uh, something my fiance taught me, you know, I, I used to very much treat myself. As a brain in a jar. If you know the truth, you're gonna follow it. There you go. That's all you really yeah. need. You know, my my girl, my fiance really taught me there's three dimensions to faith: truth and what you believe, the doctrine, which should be the highest, I think, because God is truth. The practice of it, the liturgical life, the daily prayer life, and the community. You need to weigh all of those, honestly. You know, as much as I want to believe that we are all very strong and committed to the truth. If you're a really good community, you might just not leave. And, you know, that's between you and God. I'm not trying to be a relativist, but, you know, at the end of the day, especially when it's, it's, it's is it, is it my liturgical preference that's tying me to this church? Or is it, I believe X church has betrayed the apostolic deposit in, in some way.
0: Yeah. Okay. So uh, there's, or the shortened answer from Scottish Slav, why be a papist when you can just be normal?
1: That is true. There you go. <laughs> one more. One more. Do I need to say? Right, so there you go. Okay. Be, me... be, yeah, because because the Slavs are so normal. I I go to a Russian parish. I know how weird we are. Like, we... the bishop came, so we gave him bread and salt. What?
0: Like I I I, it's, I just
1: bread <laughs> and salt. No, that's like a, a that's a tradition. Apparently, I was like I I love ethnic traditions. They're great. It's just.
0: Hmm. people are arguing in the comments
1: i'm sure i mean meanwhile for me growing up catholic it's like the bishop's coming i wonder what money he wants now like that
0: okay now they're asking about when i use the term pop apologetics is that like trent
1: i would i Um... would defend him honestly (laughs) of of the of the catholic answers crew um yeah then they're asking
0: about catholic answers i
1: i would i would defend some of them, not all of them. I think a lot of the tracks and stuff that Capagansis puts out is overly simplistic in every way, shape, yeah. and form. It's a tract, um, so Tre- Yeah, that's true. You know, but Trent Horn's case for Catholicism, I will forever say, is one of the best apologetical works in the modern day on in defense of Catholicism. In my in my humble opinion, I've read a lot. I think it's great. I I adore it. Um, I think Jimmy Akin is great on weird subjects. Um, I think he is. I feel so terrible saying this because, again, I'm a guy in a pew, so I feel terrible saying this, but as somebody who has desperately tried to understand Orthodoxy and Catholicism um, and and knows Catholicism intimately because of my upbringing and of trying to learn what I can about Orthodoxy from people who speak well of Orthodoxy, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I do find Trent Trent Horn and Jimmy Akin's apologetics towards orthodoxy or apologetics for the papacy at time to be left wanting. Um yes. sometimes sometimes I feel that they are just repurposing their arguments against Protestants for the papacy for the Orthodox. Yes. Um and I mean that was something that when I was a I did as a Catholic and it, it was eventually investigating the Orthodox Catholic debate over the papacy and realizing how different it is between the Catholic Protestant arguments over the papacy, um at least in my mind, I'm I'm sure some higher church Anglicans probably would have similar disagreements with Rome that maybe Orthodoxy would have, but yeah, I I had,
0: Um, I had, I mean, the way in which the papacy was argued to me, if it was just a lot of this more pop apologetic stuff, I never would have converted. It really took, really took basically the type of arguments that were being given against the Orthodox.
1: Yeah. I mean, you need that, you know, and, uh, and so, so that's what I mean by pop apologetics is like, oh, Matthew 16, 18. There you go. It's like, oh, okay. Well, like, let's like not talk about what any of the fathers had to say about it. Like it just yeah. says Peter and keys. So I guess that means papal supremacy and papal infallibility. And I, I obviously yeah. I'm not saying that's necessarily what they do or like there, there mm-hmm. are, there are good Catholic defenses of that verse. I'm not saying there aren't, I just mean like the very simple tractates or, you know, or the you know, as, as you'll see the maquis joke you know and stuff like that go around you know you you, you know pop apologetics i mean overly simplified apologetics but but i love drede yeah. horn i i think he's great i still yeah. to the Council I,
0: I won't i won't name any specific names but i'll just give a brief description and you can fill in the sketch and apply to who you want and uh yeah i, I just won't name names um but it's just the type of apologist who uses overly simplistic arguments and um, that don't necessarily follow uh, against the intended position and then often conflates different groups. I think those are the general characteristics, characteristics yeah. and conflating groups is, is a huge, huge one.
1: And have, and have no familiar familiarity with the sources of the opposite side. Like, like that's like, I want to yeah. tear my hair out often when I read, when especially when I hear Orthodox talking about Augustine, I just want to tear my hair out. Um, one, <laughs> he's, a, he's a saint on a liturgical calendar. Um, so like stop slandering a saint. And, and uh, it's just, it just, it just makes me want to tear my hair out or, or even Orthodox some, because so, so many Orthodox converts from Protestantism are coming from l- extremely low church backgrounds. So, even when they were Protestant, they could have given a damn what Cranmer or Luther yeah. or um, you know uh, Calvin or or then then get into the more ob- obscure uh, 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 obscure Protestant reformers like Melanchthon or um, Bucer, Bucer um, you know yeah, or uh, who's who's uh, Matthew Peart- Matthew, yeah, Matthew Pearson's guy, or, or that, that guy, you know... Um, Vermigli
0: or Zanke yeah, or... You know, yeah, you know,
1: like, they have no understanding of sources or, or any of that, um, and then feel like they can just knock down the arguments. It's like, as if, you know, um, uh, uh, Satiletto or um, Ignatius of Loyola wasn't were, were pulling punches with the Protestants. Like, they they, they were arguing from this, i mean or look at John Jewell's defense of the church of england
2: it is mm-hmm. a thoroughly
1: patristic defense of the church of england that's showing like here is how rome erred from the fathers not necessarily the yeah. scriptures all the time you know and so yeah I, that it frustrates me very much
0: yeah because i mean i think the the cardinal 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 sin of the pop apologist these pop catholic apologist when it comes to arguing against Protestants, has to be the Eucharistic presence. Like oh, oh my, my gosh, yeah. Goodness. Not as if only, they've never
1: read John 6.
0: Yeah. Not, not only does one you not understand the Protestant position. You'll have, I mean, a lot of the more modern Protestants saying Christ isn't present, but that's nobody else's position. But also, you don't understand your own position <laughs> because basically, you're saying, "Okay, Christ is present; therefore, transubstantiation." No, 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 no. no. That's not <laughs> what transubstantiation means. the 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 two terms, while while transubstantiation is a species of the genus real presence, yeah. the two ta- the two terms don't equal each other.
1: Yeah, just like, like this a- is
0: my body. That doesn't necessarily conclude transubstantiation no,
1: like, it's like it's like somebody moves on to the real present positions like congrats but like which one you know like yeah you, know, you gotta say like what one are you looking for <laughs> because there are tons of people who affirm real presence it's just how do you want to explain the real presence
0: mm-hmm. okay so Corey actually has a the psychology question for you. Oh so, my oh God help. Yeah, me. therapy question. Really? So working in mental health, do you find the religious delusions of grandeur found in schizophrenics, manic bipolar patients to be of demonic influence? I believe it is.
1: You know, it's funny that you asked that, Corey, because I was just talking with a friend about this. I am the, the primary population I work with right now in the mental health field is is people with schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder. Mm-hmm. Um. So, um, interesting people and uh um i love them it's it's so so awesome trying to help them you know because it's it's difficult you know um but anyways a lot of them are religiously fixated Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um obviously i think that's an aspect of the culture a lot of people are raised religious you know you're gonna have that expression i don't rule out the possibility that i don't know their history i don't know if they ever messed with the ouija board i don't know if they ever consulted tarot or made a deal with the devil and and you know demonic possession does look a lot like schizophrenia it's, it's very yeah. hard to draw that line sometimes you know I, I i think that the catholic process for um um exorcism yeah for exorcism is very helpful um uh
0: Oh, they're intense. They're you know, intense. It, about it's it.
1: very helpful. You know, and I actually when I taught um in college, I I I taught a not a not a semester class, but I taught one class called uh uh demon uh, uh demons exorcism and mental health. Um and I, I used the Catholic process to explain like how this kind of like works, um, because it's the most formalized, the most documented.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: But I uh, don't I don't I don't I don't wave out the possibility. Um but, I mean, much like – and I think this is – I would say this is the position of, of orthodoxy. If it had one, I, I'd have to actually have to look that up, especially the, of, of even people like Father Ripperger or something like that and his, like, introduction to the science of mental health. I err on the side of it's a biological problem first. Let's give it a good reason to think that, like, demons or something are actually talking to these people.
0: Yeah. Okay, so um, California Condor asks – do you believe the Catholic Church has grace in it at all? And if yes, no, why?
1: Again, I, I also want to say I'm very thankful for all these questions, but I have to keep reiterating. I'm just a guy in a few. Um, so, so my opinion matters very little, but I will try to speak what I, what I think about the Orthodox Church's said on the matter. Um, yes. I, I do, but I do believe there's grace in the in the Catholic Church. Um, I I don't think that you can deny the incorrupt bodies of the saints, and I don't think you can deny um, the the practice of the Russian Church is to receive Catholic priests by vesting. They don't reordain them. That's the practice of the OCA. Um, receiving Catholic converts, they are received by chrismation. They're not rebaptized. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I know rebaptism is a big controversy in Orthodoxy, and that's a big thing. You can't decide what to do, but. We've never definitively decided.
0: St Augustine to do. has entered the chat.
1: yeah um, <laughs> but uh, I do believe there's there is grace. Um and th- there are several beautiful monastic stories of Athenite elders and optina elders. Um, you know uh, they're, they're basically apocryphal stories. I don't know if they're ever really true, you know, but um, you know, a pilgrim comes and asks, you know, Holy Father, you know, I have a friend you know who's a Papist, like, I must like save him from himself and all that. And the the elder, you know, is like, do they venerate the Virgin Mary? Yes, Holy Father. Do they do they receive the Eucharist? Yes, Holy Father. You know, do they venerate the saints? Yes, Holy Father. Then despair of your own salvation. You know, like you know, like, don't don't worry about you. Know, like you know, but then you know, on the flip side. But if you abandon your orthodoxy for papism, you'll yeah. be damned. You know, like like yeah, yeah. but but uh, I do believe there's grace. I think um there's a great article i cannot remember who wrote it i just sent it to a friend on sacramental rigorism um that circulated around twitter not too long ago um and it was it's arguing against sacramental rigorism of the orthodox church and and is arguing and i think rather convincingly that the position of the orthodox church is there's varying levels of grace in unions outside of the orthodox church and it really needs to be understood on a case-by-case basis on how we're going to interact with these things um but, you know, th- there, there are several stories of monastics who refer to the saints of the Catholic Church and stuff like that. Um, I, I know of an Orthodox priest who, on his private prayer, like, icon wall, obviously not liturgically, but his private icon wall, he's an icon of Saint Jean Vianney because he just sees him as such an exemplar of the priesthood. You know, mm-hmm. like, like it's, it's, you know. I mean, I mean, also, much like in Catholic practice, you can venerate your grandfather if you want to. You know, like there, there's no reason yeah. you can't, you know, venerate anybody that you think has found a favor with God. The Orthodox actually even have a, it's kind of tragic, but in a, in, in in late 1800s Russian prayer books, um, they actually publish a, a prayer for orphans. And the, the orphan prays like, mom or dad, if you have found a favor with God, pray for me and i find that to be a really good policy for orthodox christians or for myself who wants to venerate um you know catholic saints or or saint charles the martyr or something like that you know hey, yeah. you know this person if you have found favor with god pray for me it's a, it's a it's a perfectly good footnote to attach um, and mm-hmm. and say for anybody in any communion you know that that has you know questionable things but but no i, I to, to say I, I don't think it's a tenable opinion to say that, that everything outside of the Orthodox Church is devoid of grace. And I don't think that is the position of the Orthodox Church throughout the centuries, uh, nor do I think that is the position of the Catholic Church, even at the height of Unum Sanctum. I don't yeah. think that, you know, like, I, I don't think that Vatican II is in, in, in its position on other religions is in conflict with Unum Sanctum or anything like that. So um, I, I think the Orthodox and the Catholics are actually pretty much are in pretty a lot of agreement there, at least in what Vatican II says about, says about those outside of the bounds of the Roman Catholic church. Like okay. if people can find it or Google it, it's, it's just on sacramental rigorism and he, it's, it's, a, it's fantastic.
0: Well, if uh, militant Jamie is in the chat, please pull it up. <laughs> so uh, Benjamin D question for Matthew, which books did you find useful in researching the papacy? It's frustrating trying to find scholarly works on the issue that are also affordable and as I
1: may add, in English. Oh man, ain't that the ain't that the bloody truth? Um. Okay. <laughs> For the first book, I'm going to recommend. It's called His Broken Body. Um. It is. It's. It's about the papacy. It's really just about all ecclesial ecclesiological issues between East and West. Father Laurent Clearwick or Cleanwick, forgive me, Father. If but uh, he um uh he wrote it. Um, he's an Orthodox priest in the West Coast, um, and he studied in France. Um, and it's great. It overviews the role of the local bishop and the role of the papacy and the size of the Great Church. It's, it is fantastic. It changed my view of everything. And it, 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 it actually helped my spiritual life because it made me appreciate having a local bishop more. Like, it, yeah. it's, it's a great, great, great book. Um, Was it Rome and the Eastern Churches? is very good um uh the 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 papacy by by ab Gautet, g-o-u-t-e-t-e it's of some french name there are some problems with it but i still think it's good Uh, it's good to read like he was he was a roman catholic monk in the 1800s who converted to orthodoxy um oh my um the primacy of peter there's a collection of uh, a collection of different scholarly essays that john meyendorf edited um Oh, my. What? Give me give me two seconds here.
0: Real time. We're live. Okay, just so everybody knows, after this, about 10, 15 minutes, after we're done this stream, I'll be having another stream and uh, kind of continuing our discussion from the... On St. Thomas Aquinas on predestination and we'll be talking a bit about uh St. Thomas Aquinas on free will. It'll be a bit shorter like 30 minutes. I kind of want to spend some time not having to do stuff tonight before I have to go to bed and then get up for work tomorrow. But uh yeah that's what we will be going on. Okay and I can actually answer this question right here uh what objections do anglicans have to becoming western Rite orthodox uh with with anglicanism uh, especially continuing anglicanism there's what's called the branch theory that the orthodox rome and anglican communions are all branches of one holy catholic and apostolic church and that obviously ecclesiologically is in uh in contradiction to uh the orthodoxy so that lays a, a huge barrier but i mean other things i can't think of really anything else that they would find problematic oh man you you brought all the books
1: sorry forgive me i i this way i can i can, uh, I can pull a J. jay dyer and just start like pulling different like books out
0: <laughs> i read this book and yeah. i read this book
1: um so it was dom chapman studies on the early papacy this is from a catholic perspective this is really good um his broken body this is from an orthodox perspective this is fantastic as well because at the end he actually kind of like makes some recommendations kind of scholarly speculation on this is what um uh reunion might look like or things that we could do that can make reunion a bit easier um this is a part of uh, it was the saint vlad's church history series on the christian east where is it christian east and the rise of the papacy this is really good um and then yeah, the primacy of Peter in the Orthodox Church. This was edited by uh, Mayendorf. Um, there's a couple others, but and like um, there's one you'll see sometimes for like two paths: papal monarchy or collegial tradition. Um, I read it; it was good. Um, it's questionable. I, I know Eric Ibarra, like it, it's like very obscure video, but Eric Ibarra is like a four hour response to the first chapter of it that he posted on YouTube like six years ago. That's really good. Um, <laughs> but I, I'd recommend reading the book. That you know? video is
0: about to have a massive spike in viewership. Yeah, like, okay, I haven't had a I, view I, in I, like I, two I'm years.
1: Watching, uh, uh, the, this isn't a book. So forgive me. I'm actually, I'm also pulling up my, uh, another list here. Um, uh, It's not a book, but I, I Cabane the Christian or seraphim hamilton um on his youtube channel he has a couple of videos on um uh, on why he's orthodox rather than being catholic on and uh, talks with the papacy i found those very useful um you are peter an orthodox the an orthodox theologian's reflection on the exercise of papal primacy that's by oliver clement um he, that's really good um i'm trying to find some other catholic books on the papacy that i really like um, I guess that's a start. I, I'd say all of those are within the 15, $25 range. Um, so, so that's, a, I again, you uh, always check, always check thrift books first before you go yeah. anywhere else or Abe books. Um, but that, that would be a start on, on what I would start reading. Yeah. You guys,
0: I better not catch you stealing the PDFs. That's a no, no. <laughs> that, that actually affects people's livelihoods. Okay. So we're. Um, there's a bunch of Union Jacks in the background Are you birth by birth
1: <laughs> as much as, as much as I wish no um no I I uh I just, when I was in middle school I kind of just decided you know what I'm going to be like a Anglophile and I just have it yeah. and so I just I just love uh, I am English by like heritage you know a lot of my you know I'm uh most of my family is from one part of the British Isles or the other um but, but uh unfortunately I am not uh um oh another catholic book by fortescue i can't remember I look up adrian fortescue i know that yeah. he has a book on the papacy as well um but uh, but yeah no i i, I just like england I, just, I always have
0: yeah so um matthew what would mend what would a mend of the schism look like to you
1: um i actually think of all people metropolitan Callistus Ware put this the best um he uh he published a paper if you google this you can find it as well um, he's on the Orthodox Catholic Theological Commission, um, and he published a paper on primacy in the Orthodox Church. And, uh, you know, Pope, Pope Emeritus Benedict has a quip that gets thrown around every once in a while that that we, speaking of Catholics, cannot expect more of the Orthodox Church, of the Eastern Churches, than what we expected of them in the first millennia. Yeah. And Metrolonicalistus Ware um says uh the Orthodox need to be willing to give Rome what we gave them in the first in the first millennia. Um there there I think there needs to be concessions on either side. You know, it makes me think of the story from Vatican I of the Melkite Melkite Patriarch who signed the dogmatic definition, adding a clause saying, you know, I affirm papal and papal supremacy, um, as much as it does not violate the rights of the Eastern patriarchs. Um I think if something like that could be agreed on, that's something this something mending the schism would look like Um, the, the Rome basically agrees to, to just not look even in the general direction of the East and leave them to be, leave them, leave us be um, and not ever try to exercise any real level. Again, I find it's kind of an impossible exercise. I say all of that because again, I think that Rome has backed itself into a dogmatic corner. And I even think the least ultramontanist position that you can take of Vatican I, because I, I recognize that we're kind of dealing with an ultramontanist time. This isn't necessarily what was intended by the Vatican I yeah, definition. Yeah. Which, you know, I completely recognize that. But I even think at its best, it's not something that would be agreeable to Orthodoxy. Um I think Orthodoxy needs to be willing to admit some level of ortho, uh, some level of universal primacy or supremacy. Even um, I think that orthodoxy needs to be willing to um, accept that that is a thing and that primacy equals power. It's not just honor. Um, yeah. Now it might, maybe is more of a moral power or a moral authority that, than like an actual executive power. Um, but I think that Rome would have to pull back on a couple positions as not allowed to, Is not allowed to pull back on. I I don't. I do not think you will ever see. I I don't. I don't know. I. think.
0: I think that uh, we we could have a more nuanced discussion about infallibility because, for 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 example, like um, the Tome of Pope Saint Leo, like that as an expression of the Roman Pontiff in Council speaking for the whole Church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you would agree he was speaking in in persona ecclesia. And yeah, as his as his so. special as his special role of chief of the patriarchs, speaking in that sense, we, we could we could venture to say that this is an infallible dur- uh, declaration coming from the Roman pontiff perhaps be, be, because of his role speaking in persona Ecclesia and the entire church, not being able to err in matters of faith or morals. So I, I think in, in this more nuanced discussion, yeah, I, yeah, I think you'd have to have a it, lot
1: of theological uh, designation, like distinctions signed in writing on both sides. Yeah. Um, cause, again, Cause again, I think the Orthodox, the Orthodox need to come together. I, I once heard an Orthodox Christian comment once, and I really liked what they had to say one of the issues Orthodoxy has with papal supremacy and papal infallibility is it dogmatizes something that clearly was not agreed upon in the early church. Um, there, it wasn't there, even in,
0: agreed upon in the medieval church. I,
1: exactly. And, and so to
0: be honest, it's,
1: it seems to be that there were different, different times in the early church. Rome exhibited a lot of authority that was listened to. Rome exhibited a lot of authority that wasn't listened to. And yeah. there's everything in between. Um, and the the problem, a lot of Orthodox or at least definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of, Cradle orthodox have i think is is it forced the definition on something that I think they would argue is is possibly impossible to find because there was enough variation in the early church to say it's hard to even define what the early church position was on on it yeah you know because again also I think that a lot of kind of going back to our pop apologist things, I think a lot of people try to um bulldoze over the gray areas of the early church um you know like we forget there yeah. was the phocian schism and the occasion schism and yeah. several schisms between the eastern patriarchs like the united millennia was not that you know like Voltaire yeah. always jokes you know like the hre was not holy nor roman or an empire now i think voltaire's yeah. an idiot and the hre was holy roman and an empire but that's beside the point um uh the united millennium was not by any means united it just was on average united between yeah. all of the patriarchs, but how can you call it united when like a third of the church leaves a Chalcedon? Like, like, come on, like, that's kind of yeah. I, th- hard. I
0: honestly thinking about it, thinking about how a united Eastern Western church would look like. Uh, I think if if we think about how the the Pope of Rome interacted with the East in the first millennium. Basically, what you're going to have, even at it, even at the height of of certain periods within the first mm-hmm. millennium of Rome's power, what what you're going to have basically is if you have a fight between the patriarchs, like for example, the Constantinople yep. Moscow situation would probably be a situation where the bishop of Rome would step in, yep. and be able to lay down the law, yep, and then also calling a vacuum, well calling the ecumenical councils because well, I mean, now, that's... <laughs> now
1: that, an, now that, now that an emperor doesn't exist, I can, yeah. I, would, I would concede that. I mean, who else is uh, going to call the, Yeah, I mean, who councils? else is going to call and, and that is and, an open question. Very, we don't know what to do. You know? Yeah.
0: Very niche, very niche things like that. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, sure there'll be meddling really every for
1: that with, with, um, yeah. the council Sardica of this idea of the Pope being the highest court of appeals. And that's kind of the, the, the purpose of, of yeah. the Roman see. Um, Again, the, the issue would be is how does supreme and immediate jurisdiction square with the apostolic canons or, you know, of the Pope kind of intervening and being in a, an immediate ordinary in a bishop's diocese where the Orthodox are very uncomfortable with that idea. Yeah, the Metropolitan cannot do that to any bishop that is under him because they are bishops in their own right and their own sees, you know, like I, I, if I, I'm pretty sure I'm correct on this, the Metropolitan still has to ask permission to come to a diocese. You know, because it's 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 not his. Um, yeah. So that is where I think you need a, 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 a encyclopedia Britannica of of definitions and distinctions and clauses. Like you, you need, it would be a lawyer's wet dream. You know, like a, a just <laughs> writing this. You know, a tome that that would be like this is how and what Rome is allowed to do to it, the rest it, of us. And even even
0: then, when it comes to <clears throat> what Rome has put on the table for reunion. Um, When it comes Mm -hmm. to after the Seventh Ecumenical Council, it's speaking basically as the definitions, I mean, as the councils in general, not binding the East in a different way than it would bind the West in a much Mm -hmm. different way. And you see that in Eastern Catholicism. I'm sure you would be, if if you happen to be, by some weird situation, only able to... Go to an eastern catholic parish i'm sure you'd be very very careful I mean, very very comfortable with the canonical uh and theological and liturgical aspects oh, yeah. of eastern sure. catholic life and i think that's a i'm i'm hoping at least that that has been a good test case and a good like here east this is how you would be treated like mm. we're we're not it's not going to be like it was (laughs) the last time we had last time we dated it's not going to be the same way yeah i mean it it was was the
1: last time we latinized everybody and caused saint alexis toth to happen and and, yeah uh, yeah yeah. and saint alexis toth yeah and he's canonizing the Orthodox church oh Um, really yeah saint alexis of wilkes bar yeah one of the one of the pennsylvanian saints uh um but uh uh and uh But but no, I mean, I agree. I mean, like that's even expressed whenever an Eastern Catholic bishop is consecrated, the the Pope in Latin says, I receive this bishop. But whenever a Western Catholic bishop is appointed, he says, I appoint, you know, like so even even actually in the the language that Rome uses with the Eastern Catholic churches, there there is a admission that there's a slightly different relationship between them where again, he is receiving the fact that, that, that this church consecrated somebody a bishop. Wow, in the Western church, he is, he is appointing people.
0: Okay. There's a very important question. American revolutionary war based or cringe?
1: Absolutely. Cringe. And just every, I, way, shape, every
0: single one of my, every single one of my guests are saying cringe and I, yeah. I agree. Yeah, okay. That'll let me, let me look to see if there are any like really, really good questions <laughs> because I kind of need to at least start on my later Live stream eventually, okay. So, doesn't look like there's anything else except we have apparently do 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 We have a red trad in the chat. We don't believe Christians, Muslims, and Jews worship the same god cult of I, modernism.
1: I, that's that's a base name at, at the very least. I gotta give them that, you know,
0: yeah, but um, <laughs> I Cult of modernism, if you're not a rad trad, you meant this in complete goodwill. I'm sorry, but um, I I've always taken that section from Lumen Gentium and the catechism in the same sense, because Paul in Acts 17 had was perfectly OK with saying that uh, that the pagan Athenians were worshiping the same God he was worshiping. So I like to take it in that sense that it's the unknown God that they're that they've been reaching for Um and that the father by creation, whom, whom they have, not yeah, father by I, redemption, I, father by creation. I'm perfectly I, when, comfortable with when that. When
1: it comes to Islam, I'm undecided. That, 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 like, that's, that's just like a, meh. you know, I, I know it's different a heresy. people different things. So, yeah, so I'm like, yeah, whatever. I, I, I have a friend who converted from Islam to, to Roman Catholicism, and, and she makes the argument that, that Allah is not the same God as the, as the Christian God. So I, I err on her side just I'm like, well, she'd know. But, but, and again, that, that's just not a topic I'm very committed to. Like like I have, whatever, whatever the church does, I don't really care. <laughs> yep. Yep.
0: So that's that's about it. Except uh John Fisher two point was now arguing with cult of modernism in the comments. So mm-hmm. you two uh you two continue have fun. this little yeah, you have you fun. Ca- I, I don't want to get involved. Um you two can uh can go at it. Uh but yes. Yes, John Fisher 2.0, his argument. Uh, no, no, I'm not even going to get in on it. I'm not <laughs> even going to get in. I'm gonna. I'm just going to end it here. So uh, plug anything you have. Um, let anybody know if you're doing any work or if you're just a therapist with a Twitter.
1: I, yeah, I mean, I'm basically just a mental health worker with a Twitter. I, I write every once in a while. My, my friends and I have a thing called uh, The Pondering Pub, which we're kind of working on reorganizing, um, which is I, I, the way I always advertise is the poor man's inklings. Um, we got, it started just getting together in my house, pouring some whiskey and talking about what we've been reading or writing or talking about. Um, and we write, I've written a couple things on on that website before. Um, you know, but I I don't really do much. I'm just a mental health worker with a Twitter that really likes to do armchair theology from time to time or armchair ecclesiology, I I suppose. Um, but I'm very thankful to be brought on. It's been a really fun conversation. I really, I love stuff like this.
0: Oh yeah, it was it was definitely great. We definitely uh, in the future got to come up with something else to talk about. Happy to, yeah, especially. I'm, I'm on... happy to be
1: the orthodox punching bag, you know. A, <laughs> it's a, it's no, I think lovely. especially
0: that that very good conversation partner when it comes to the relationship between the West and the East, coming from the perspective the perspective of somebody with a strong Western background and a strong appreciation for the for the Western patrimony.
1: Well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. I do my best to not be, um, I, I love to be hyperbolic in jokes and in private, but, uh, I, I, I would, would actually try to have an authentic dialogue. I just, I just don't find it helpful. And, uh, no. if, like I said, it goes back to my divorced parents thing, but it, I divorced parents analogy, not that I have divorced parents, but, uh, I'm just, again, I'm just, I'm so thankful to be on. So I, I really, really enjoyed myself.
0: Yep. So before you leave everybody and. Uh... We remember about 10, 15 minutes from now. I'm gonna get something to eat, and then we're gonna truck through some St. Thomas Aquinas on free will from Summa Theologiae Prima Pars. I think question eighty four, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, article articles. Uh, no, no, I did that backwards. Article eighty four, question one and two. I'm gonna go through that and explain it a bit. Kind of draw out those distinctions. We talked about predestination, and then obviously this question comes up. And then also uh, join the discord. That's the best way you could uh, become more personally connected. Um, and then also and I, I'm in the uh,
1: discord. So if anybody watching has questions, feel free to ping me. Uh, if, you to you if you want to yeah, harass I, him, if you want to harass him,
0: go ping him. Yeah. That's how you can reach him too. Uh, also remember, become a patron. If you'd really like to be a helpful man and you'd really like to uh, see this channel flourish because it's, it's been doing really good the last last few weeks. And then, you know about all my social medias. I don't even need to reiterate that. You all follow me on Twitter. You better. And then John Fisher and Cult of Modernism are still going in the comments. So uh, (laughs) Cult of Modernism, if you want to join the Discord, you're more than welcome if you want to continue this conversation. Um, So that is all I have for you today. God bless. And thank you again, Matthew.
1: No problem. Thank you.